0: Welcome back to the Beamy Grad Podcast after a long holiday break. We have just two more episodes after this one until the end of season one. Grace has become super busy with work, so I'll be hosting the podcast from here on out. And we like to keep it fresh around here, so look out for a big announcement in the last episode of this season, number 30, where I'll talk about something exciting that will be happening in season two. And so without further ado, today's guest is Isabella, or Bella Watson, Bella is a friend of mine from college, and we also worked together on an early-stage venture during college for nearly two years. She graduated with her bachelor's from the UNC and NC State Joint Biomedical Engineering Program in 2019. Shortly after, she went on to work as both an R&D engineer and field service engineer at Cell Microsystems and Research Triangle Park, an early growth stage company that develops, manufactures, and markets innovative products for single-cell biology. She now works as an R&D engineer at Vertex Pharmaceuticals, a global biotechnology company at their San Diego, California site. This conversation with Bella was really interesting because she was able to provide some great insight and compare, contrast R&D in two very different-sized companies in the biotech space. So please enjoy this interview with Isabella Watson. Welcome to the BMU grad podcast, Bella. Thanks for joining. Yeah. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I I feel like I haven't seen your face since we literally graduated. So
1: yeah, well, I deleted like all my social media. So Oh, did you not really online much?
0: I did the same thing, but I didn't delete anything. I just like permanently signed out and I haven't been back. So (laughs) it
1: feels good, right?
0: It does. Yeah. I think for me too, I was always like out focusing on like needing to take a picture.
1: I just want to take a picture of the sunsets like for me, not for
0: other people. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, go you. Thanks. Um, so it's good to see your face. I wouldn't have seen it otherwise. So yeah. <laughs> I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, specifically because We haven't had too many guests on the podcast yet that do R&D specifically, and you've got a boatload of that experience. And I remember you were just so talented in um, design work in undergrad. That prosthetic arm you built was badass. I was checking out your website last (laughs) night. So uh, yeah, thank you for joining. And I think you've got a really interesting career journey so far in just two, three short years. So uh, let's just kick off with where you're at now, Vertex Pharmaceuticals, what they do, what your role is there. Um, That would be great. Sure.
1: So Vertex is a pharmaceutical company,
0: um, and we make
1: drugs to treat cases of cystic fibrosis, um, which is like a chronic and eventually fatal lung disease. And we're also in a really exciting project. We're in phase two human trials of a potential um, cure for type one diabetes. So I don't. know New York Times recently did a piece on us because we did our first like human trial with this. Uh, with this type one diabetes potential cure. And after 90 days, the subject is doing really well and hasn't had to take insulin. So really promising stuff there. Um, So I work as an R and D engineer in the instrumentation research and development group. And it's a really cool and unique group within Vertex where 12 engineers who design and manufacture novel instruments for scientists at Vertex only meaning like we don't patent anything. We don't sell anything. Um, They're just for internal use only because of the advantages they confer to our pharmaceutical company only. Uh, Essentially, when a scientist at Vertex has an idea for how to make a drug development assay, uh, they come to our group and we make the machine that they want that's capable of carrying out that assay. So when nothing is commercially available for what they want to do, we make it And tailor it to exactly what they want to do. Uh, I am on the software team primarily. So I do a lot of coding and lab view. Mm -hmm. But what I really like about R and D in this group is because we're so small, whatever project you're put on, you have to step up to whatever responsibilities that requires. So right now I'm on a project. I'm the project lead. And then there are two people. So I'm pretty much full-time on this project. Mm -hmm. And then there are two kind of satellite people two mechanical engineers helping me out. But that means I oversee the design of the entire system, which is like a lot of fluidics, pumps, wiring, um, and software, of course. Uh, We primarily use LabVIEW. So yeah, what's really cool is with each project, I get to learn a lot. Like in my last project, I learned a lot about optics because I had to use um, an optical system to focus lasers. And then this is just a completely different project with like pumping cells through tubing. all controlled through my user interface. So it's just, I'm always learning here and I love
0: that. Yeah, Really cool. Yeah. Always touching on like different um, disciplines of engineering. It sounds like you're getting a little bit of software, biology, chemistry, and mechanical in there, which is really cool. And electrical, I guess. Could you like dive a little bit deeper into the project you're working on now without, you know, revealing too much, like just kind of the problem you're trying to solve and how you're tackling it? Sure. So
1: right now, we're kind of, Vertex is kind of experimenting with the pain medication market. Mm. So we want to develop a drug that is more effective than like ibuprofen or Tylenol, but that has no neurotropic effects and no um, abuse potential. Mm. So I'm trying, a lot of our focus has been like streamlining workflows uh, with those cells. So I'm working with, I'm working on a system that automates a process of feeding, uh, washing, concentrating, counting, and plating those cells that we're looking to study. Um, Because this is a week-long process and I'm setting up a system where you essentially press go and it does everything the scientist would do manually uh, over the weekend. You would just set a time like, okay, I want this done Sunday. They walk away and it's done for them. So it's a lot of, uh, pumps and pinch valves and tubing and just flowing cells from one instrument to another.
0: Yeah. That's, I'm sure that's really time-saving for some of the scientists too, that can then like focus more on the results than rather that like manual work. And then you all kind of your R and D moves a lot faster too. Is that kind of like the idea? It frees them up a little bit.
1: Yeah, it definitely frees them up and then it produces a greater throughput as well so that there's more cells available for testing and assays so that they don't have to spend as much time prepping they can just go and do their tests and experiments.
0: Okay, does it like kind of remove some human error you're saying like getting a higher yield or potentially
1: but I think the main thing is through automation you're saving so much time that you can just process the cells quicker, mm-hmm. right? Because you're not having to get your pipette, put the the tip on it, go and pipette something, walk over, incubate it. You know, it's just, and it's all over the weekend as well. So when the scientists would normally not be working.
0: Yeah, got it. That's fantastic. So how big is Vertex and where are they located?
1: There's several offices around the world, but the headquarters is in Boston.
0: Okay. hmm
1: And there's an Australia office and a UK office.
0: Okay. Okay. And how did you find them?
1: It's actually kind of a funny story. At my last job, um, I was moved to San Diego from North Carolina because I was Mm -hmm. working as a field service engineer. Um, And most of our products at that last company are located on the West Coast. So they wanted me closer. Um, just for quicker service. Mm -hmm. And Vertex actually owns one of our machines, one of those machines. So I came to service the machine and I was like, this is really cool. I like the look of this bigger company. Um, So I just threw in an application and it ended up going well and I got the position. So I switched to this job.
0: Yeah, look at that. Coincidence. I want to get into your previous role in that transition in a minute, but just since you're so like classically involved in in R&D work, and you're a couple years out now from our undergraduate degree. How does it line up with what you thought R&D work at, in industry would be uh, versus kind of how you thought about it in, in our BME undergrad classes?
1: It actually lines up at least from this position really well with our design classes in BME. Um, I would say that R&D at Vertex is like a large scale polished version of my undergrad design classes. Um, specifically junior design, I'd say where we made that prosthetic arm. Mm -hmm. Um, because that project was a really good introduction to R and D because I had to learn and implement like a wide array of skills, uh, to complete the project like microcontrollers, C coding, electronics, soldering, 3d printing, SolidWorks, mechanics. And then of course the soft skills of like interfacing with other engineers Mm -hmm. and teamwork. So that class was kind of like a sneak peek into the R and D world. And so I would say to undergrad BME students, if you're interested in R&D, really take those hands-on classes seriously and get what you can out of them You know, on your project, try to implement as many new things that you could learn as possible. For example, uh, when I was in that junior design class, we didn't have to use a microcontroller, but I wanted to learn microcontrollers. So I decided to use one and kind of teach myself how To use it and it kind of elevated the project and taught me microcontrollers. So, really, it's what you put in, you get out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like chasing the knowledge to have for the long term rather than just to get the grade, like to develop those technical skills that you can keep with you for the long term. So, um, you mentioned before Vertex, you were at a, another company called Cell Microsystems. Correct. Um, so your job description said R&D and field service. Were you kind of doing both? How was that?
1: Yeah, I was doing both. I came on as an R&D engineer, um, which I really enjoyed. I got to, we only sold one instrument, which uh, was like a single cell counter and sorter. So you'd put like an array, a little colony of cells into the system and the system would image it and use an image-based software to identify single cells, and then it would, uh, come and pick up that single cell and put it in a well in a 96 well plate. So that was really cool. So we sold one instrument. So there wasn't a lot of room for R and D on that instrument. Mm -hmm. So that means I did R and D internally for the company. So when things, when processes could be more streamlined, um, I could make an instrument that would maybe streamline that process. And so I really enjoyed that. And then I noticed a need for more field service engineers, because we had, I think, 27 instruments and one efficacy and he was always, you know, double booked, he had to delay uh, services. So I asked to train with him because I saw an opportunity to move back to San Diego, where I'm from, if I learned field service. So I trained with him and learned field service and eventually they did move me back to San Diego, which worked out really well, Um, but. I was both field service and R and D when I was in North Carolina. So when I was in the office, I'd be doing R and D work. And then when I was traveling, I'd be field service. I ended up leaving the company because, um, once I was out fully remote in San Diego doing field service, I realized field service is not my passion. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely more of an R and D engineer. Um, I think field service for me, After you get used to the instrument, it's a little algorithmic. You've seen the same issues, you know, the fix, and it's just a matter of taking the steps to get there. Mm -hmm. Whereas what I love about R&D is I'm constantly challenged. I'm constantly learning new things. And there's not one straight path to get to the fix or the solution.
0: Who might like field service? That's a good question. I
1: think maybe someone that wants to experience kind of like the busy travel life I think mm-hmm. that aspect also wasn't for me I'm I enjoy travel but like traveling to California every week um or every other week you know for three months was just too much for me so if you want that business travel experience that's good mm-hmm. I also think more mechanically minded people would really enjoy it because you know mechanics go out on systems all the time uh, and I'm more of a I kind of enjoy like the software development and electronics side so I'm totally mechanically minded i'd say
0: that makes a lot of sense do you think um do you think with like a I, and i i don't know the product i mean the product you're working on sounds complex but do you think if it was even more complex it would and maybe the problems you encountered in the field were a little more challenging do you think it would have held your interest more or kind of like how does that or are you just saying it was kind of repetitive and you didn't feel challenged or um what's your opinion on that i guess
1: that's a good question. I think just for me personally, to be interested in something, I have to be learning and challenged by it. And so servicing a single instrument mm-hmm. that was pretty straightforward after about a year field service, I kind of felt like I knew everything about that instrument. I wasn't being challenged anymore. I wasn't growing at work and I became kind of bored. Right. Um, But maybe if it was a more complicated instrument with different fixes and solutions, or you were servicing multiple instruments, you wouldn't have that sense of boredom.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, you brought up a good point. Um, And it's kind of cool that you got to experience both of these roles at the same time, R&D and field service and like contrast them in real time. Um, The traveling piece is something that sounds fun, um, but in practice, you know, can look very different. And I think as an undergrad, I was looking at traveling and I was like, oh yeah, like every week I'd love to be on the road. But you know, the reality is sometimes you're in not like the funnest places and you're work to hotel and you know, you're never really home with your people and you're living out of a bag. So there are things to like kind of weigh um with the travel. Did you like how did you feel about that split of your time?
1: I think. Like you, I thought it sounded really fun at first and it was fun for the first Mm -hmm. few months while it was novel and new, Mm -hmm. but I didn't like that at the drop of the hat, I had to be on a plane the next day when something went wrong. Um, If I had plans, they had to be canceled because we were just, you know, we were expected to put the customer first and kind of drop our life to go do that field service. And, you know, sometimes we'd be on a red eye back from California, get in it. 3am and be at work at 9am the next day. Yeah. So that was just exhausting for me. Um, and like you say, I, I didn't like living out of a bag. You know, I like my home. I think I'm more of a homebody than a traveler, but I think for some people it could work really well.
0: Yeah. And you know, I haven't heard, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure that happens a lot. I haven't heard of it being so on the fly like that, but I guess it makes sense. Um, if you're field service and somebody's got a process going and like, you need to be there as soon as possible to kind of, get them back up, up and running, that it would kind of need to be sudden travel in the moment like that. But that's definitely another thing to to consider. But some people would find that really exciting. So it's just good that you got a chance to like feel that out and give it a shot. So Cell Microsystems sounds a lot smaller than Vertex. Like kind of what's the comparison of the company size and how it felt to work at the different size companies? Yeah. So
1: Cell Microsystems was a 17 person startup. I guess, I don't know how many people are there now, but when I was there, it was 17 people and it was very, very different. Um, I guess the pro of that kind of environment is that you get Mm -hmm. to wear a lot of different hats and really whatever the job requires of you, you do. So you're not pigeonholed to one department. And so, because, you know, I did have that flexibility to do R&D and field service, which, you know, at a bigger company, you're in your department, and that's what you do, which I don't mind because I love R&D. But if you were, say, at a big company, you are pigeonholed to that department generally. So I did like that I could make opportunities for myself and grow in cross-functional ways. Um, But I do, I prefer a bigger company because I guess, first of all, things are just more organized. Mm -hmm. So there's very clear job descriptions for each job and each level at that job. So, you know, there are levels of engineers, level one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, up to 10. Uh, and along with that, there's there's salary transparency, which I think is really important. And um, especially when it comes to, like, diversity and, like, women in STEM versus men in STEM, I think that can mitigate a lot of those issues and um, salary discrepancies. Um, And Vertex, what I really like is they lay out the roles and responsibilities for each level of engineer, which makes it very clear on how I can advance my career. So if I'm looking at what I'm doing now and I say, I look like maybe I'm performing at a level four level, I can come to my manager and say, I've done this, this, and this, and make it very quantitative and make a case for a promotion. Mm Where is it my last role? I, I didn't feel that was the case. And Another thing which was very different was the clear policies. So at CMS, when I started, we actually didn't even have HR, there was no employee manual, there were no trainings. And so I really like how Vertex has made an effort to establish an inclusive environment and it's something they really strive for is to encourage diversity of people and opinions. And so. We have a lot of internal groups like Pride for LGBTQ plus individuals and allies, um, women's mentorship groups, which I really, really enjoy, um, and just other ways for tech minority groups to advocate for for themselves and be heard. And I just think at a 17 person startup, no matter how good the intentions are, it's simply not big enough to foster that kind of inclusive environment. Um, So I think, if I had advice for someone in like choosing between those two, like a big Mm. or small company, if you're, you know, a woman or a person of color in tech and engineering, I think it's really important to do research on the company culture and kind of get a sense for that, you know, do they have those advocacy groups? Do they try to foster inclusivity? Yeah. I think that's a very important thing before you choose your company.
0: It's a good point. And I uh, I don't work at startups, but I do work with, within a group of small, medium-sized businesses. And, and I've had some experiences in the past too at, at different companies. And like, it, it's true, like smaller companies, there's not always policy, there's not always structure, there's not always HR. And so, uh, as you mentioned, and and they're just too small to be that diverse. It's just literally not enough people to have all those types of like employee fo- or um, interest groups. And like you said, it's it's really important at a smaller company company maybe even more so than a larger company to make sure, because they don't have all of those systems in place that the culture is a really strong fit for you, maybe more so than at a larger company where some of those things are kind of insured that you're gonna feel comforted in in such a big network. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the value? in having been able to try out both a small company and a large company. Would you recommend folks try to get both of those experiences early in their career? Like, what has that given to you in terms of figuring out what you want? Hmm.
1: So I guess it made me realize what I prefer personally, because maybe some people out there would prefer a smaller company. Mm -hmm. So I think it is important to see both. But hey, if you get your first job and it's a, a small company and you absolutely love it, I don't think there's a reason to go, you know, force yourself to to transition just to see a bigger company, but maybe somewhere in your career experiencing both is
0: is a good idea. I, I have one last question for you, just given like you've got really good experience in R and D in pharma-related companies, I guess I guess the companies you're at are pharma slash assisting the pharma industry. So, um, what would you recommend a BME undergrad student do, similarly to what you did, or or differently to what you did, if they wanted to go into R and D like you are?
1: I think what got me this job was probably, I think I really exude like a passion for what I do. You said you checked out my website, ellawatson.me for anyone listening. (laughs) Um, I do R and D pretty much for fun in my free time. I like to make projects. I like to tinker with microcontrollers and I'm just really passionate about it. I enjoy it. And so when I interviewed, I, you know, I pulled up my website, I showed all my project examples because it was relevant to the position. And I think they really liked that. And I got good feedback that, uh, I actually, got the job over some over two individuals with master's because my excitement really shone through. So I think my biggest piece of advice for someone looking to go into R&D and when they're really any job you're applying for, if you can show examples of some previous work you've done and just foster a genuine interest in engineering and what you do, that'll come across really well and people can tell. And then in terms of what uh, not to do, I'd say is kind of the flip side of that, passion is that in undergrad i got hyper focused on my design classes like junior design and uh, senior design any really hands-on course i enjoyed so much that i probably spent too much time on that and then my theoretical courses like um biostatistics or biomaterials you know things like that i didn't spend as much time as i should have and um, i think some of my theoretical knowledge um, could be better because i've had to learn some on the job and i wish it was a little stronger going in so I think just being well-rounded in your design classes and your theory- theoretical knowledge is really important.
0: Yeah, that's awesome advice. Yeah, you crush those design classes. You're <laughs> always a standout. I mean, it really shows how passionate you are. And if you're cool with it, I'm going to leave a link to your engineering portfolio website in the podcast description so folks listening can check it out and look at a really good example of of what that looks like. Absolutely. Um, Thank you. Yeah, no, I mean, I, it's awesome. I was going through it and you really like showcase a lot of skill sets there and uh, true versatility. So way to go. And you coded it yourself. Like you coded the website yourself, <laughs> which is like even better, you know,
1: it's cool. Um, cool story about that. My brother, my older brother works at Google and he really wanted me to get into coding. So for Christmas, he bought me the domain name and was like, here you go. Your Christmas present is you're going to learn to code a website and here's the domain name. And so that was really cool and a good like push into doing that. And I honestly think, I'm not sure I would have got this job without having that portfolio. So I think make a portfolio, if you can code the website yourself, that's great. But if you don't, that's okay too. Your work should, you know, speak for itself. So Mm
0: -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. really key. And have an amazing brother that helps you uh, (laughs) URL, (laughs) right? That's so sweet. What a nice gift. Oh, so cool like an inspiring one to get how, how soon did you like just get started on it like Christmas day Were you oh no I think it took like three months um okay. to get up
1: the courage to start just like teaching myself html but as intimidating as it sounds html and css it's so well documented online that it's not it's not that difficult to implement and learn you just set mm-hmm. a, a little time aside and um you can get over that initial fear
0: That's awesome. Well, you're so like, you're so technically sharp that I will, I'm going to say it's probably harder for me to learn than you, but um, (laughs) yeah. So check out bellawatson.me also in the podcast description. And thank you so much, Bella, for joining the BME grad podcast and sharing your experience. Thanks for having me, Allie. The BME Grad Podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. For more information on the BME Grad Podcast, visit bme.unc.edu. Right now, you can find that information under the News and Events tab. If you can, please subscribe or follow and leave a review. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.